Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whenever you may be listening. And welcome to episode 12 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. I am your host, Luke Halgerson. You know how it works. Five topics of the day, unpopular opinion. Let's get it started. Topic number one. We're going to keep doing these over-under for the win totals of the uh, NFL teams. We're running it down by division. I've already done the NFC North. I've also done the NFC South. Now we're going to make a turn. It's time to do the NFC East. And I think this is the toughest division to judge because, frankly, these are the most inconsistent teams year in, year out. Whatever you want to say about these teams, they just – you never can really predict what these teams are doing. And, of course, Vegas has some of the best lines for these specific teams. So let's get it started. We're going to start with the – the team that won the division last year, the Philadelphia Eagles. Win totals at nine and a half. They won nine games last year. They were riddled with injuries. Just this offense and defense, just guys were injured all over, and they still, still managed to win this division. I don't know how. I don't even know how you can fathom it. The Cowboys just underachieved per usual, and the Eagles took advantage of the opportunity. Carson Wentz, I believe, is a top five quarterback when healthy. But he just has to stay healthy. It's key for him is just staying healthy. You know, maybe they found his backup in Jalen Hurts. If he does get hurt, they have a guy who can step in and play nice. But, gosh, it's at nine and a half, it's a tough spot for them. Uh, if you look at their schedule, it's, um, it's the 25th toughest in the NFL coming into the season. You know, they got the Rams and the Cowboys at home, and then they go to the 49ers, they go to the Steelers, and they go to the Packers. You look at the rest of their schedule, they got the Saints as well coming to town. It's, um, they got Baltimore coming to town. It's a, it's not an easy schedule. It's not an easy schedule. It might say 25th, but those, they got some tough games on there. And frankly, another division that's tough to predict is the NFC West, but we'll get to that. So nine and a half, you know, I got to believe if Wentz can stay healthy, looking at their schedule, looking at who they have in their division, I, I certainly believe they'll split against Dallas. They should win both against the Giants. They should win both against the Redskins. And that's five wins right there. And looking at it, they also play the Browns. They play the Cardinals. They play the Steelers. They play the Bengals. They, ha- they play the Rams. They have winnable games. They have winnable games. With all that, uh, at nine and a half is very tough. But I am actually going to take the over on this. I see them winning ten games. Ten games is where I see them. And uh, so, yeah, I'm going to take the over on the Eagles. You know, no way they're going to go back-to-back years of having the most injuries. You know, they added a little bit of offensive depth to help out Wentz. It's just key for him is just staying healthy. If he stays healthy, the team is, you know, playoff contention, and they can win playoff games. How many they can win remains to be seen. But they won a Super Bowl a few years ago. Doug Peterson is still at the helm. His team is still going to be solid. I'm going to go over with the Eagles. Second team we'll get to is those Dallas Cowboys. And my goodness, if if the NFL just doesn't want to give them a chance to win, now's the time. They come in, 30th toughest schedule. It's just, there's no excuse this year. 
No excuse. I don't want to hear anything about the new coach, Mike McCarthy, coming in. They have Dak. They have Zeke. They have Cooper. They, who'd they add? C.D. Lamb? Oh, their, their offense is, in, is going to be incredible, and I've always believed in the defense. Defense can always kind of get it done there in Dallas. I just, and they're, it's 10. It's 10, and that's a tough number. That's a tough number. They go to Seattle. They got to go to L.A. Oh, they got the Steelers come to town. They got to go to Minnesota. They got to go to Baltimore. They got the 49ers coming to Texas as well. You know, they got the winnable games in the division. 10, 10 is a good number. 10 is a very good number for this team. And I, I honestly am going to give a push. I honestly believe that's right what they're going to get. They seem like a 10-win team. They got the new coach coming in. They went 8-8 eight and eight last year. I don't see how they can be better than 11 because I think Seattle's better than them. The Rams are going to give them a fight. Falcons will give them a fight. Cardinals are going to be much improved this year. The Steelers are a tough game. Minnesota is a tough game. The Ravens are for sure a tough game. 49ers are for sure a tough game. And then definitely not going to, like I said, with the Eagles. I don't think the Eagles will beat the Cowboys twice, and I don't think the Cowboys will beat the Eagles twice. So I think they're going to split. And, gosh, the division always beats up on itself. Like somehow the Giants will manage to beat the Cowboys. Somehow even the Redskins could beat them. And I don't believe much in the Redskins, and we'll get to them. But, yeah, I'm actually going to go push on this. I think 10 wins is the right amount that they'll get. I just see... I just see them at least losing six games. That's the thing. I see them losing. It's only because I just don't believe in Dak all that much. People know how I feel about them if you listen to previous podcasts. So, you know, 10 is a good number. They have all the talent in the world to compete for a Super Bowl. Let's see if they can actually go get it done. Let's see if they can do it. Show me, Dallas. Dear God, show me something. Because, (laughs) Because I haven't believed in it. I've, I've never believed in it when Romo was there. I don't believe in it when Dak is there. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, Jerry's world. Show me. Show me. Third team, the New York Giants. Another tough team. It, that's tough to judge. You know, Daniel Jones coming into his second year. Sophomore slump's definitely a real thing. They, they had four wins last year. 26 weakest schedule coming into this season. I just six and a half seems high. Six and a half seems very high. They got the Steelers to start the season, then they go to Chicago, they play the 49ers, they go to LA, they are at Dallas, they play the Bucks, they play Seattle, they got Arizona at home, then they they also go to Baltimore. It's let me tell you, that seems like it shouldn't be that easy of a schedule. That shouldn't be that easy of a schedule. 26 seems kind of low for the teams that I just named. I, I don't believe they're going to win six and a half games. I honestly think the peak is six. And I just don't believe in Daniel Jones. Obviously, Saquon Barkley is a beast, one of the best running backs in the league. But I don't, I don't see it with the Giants. I really don't see with that schedule how they can win six games. I don't. I really don't. So give me the under. Give me the under for the Giants. Not believing in it. I believe the sophomore sump's a real thing. But that's growing pains when you have a young quarterback. Daniel Jones sold flashes. Let's see if he can show me that he's a franchise quarterback. 
because you know the jury's still out on that jury's still out obviously after one year so we'll see it's 26 seems low for a schedule that looks that difficult to me looks like a tough schedule and it ain't ain't gonna be easy ain't gonna be easy and then we go to uh, i think who the worst team in the division is in the washington redskins and you know they, they got the new coach too ron rivera coming over from carolina and you know they had three wins last year you know they didn't know who they wanted to play at quarterback i assume they're going to be rolling with Dwayne haskins give him another chance to prove himself he didn't get many starts so maybe he can show me something so but gosh you know they got the 28th toughest schedule but i i look at these teams and i really don't see how they're coming up with that number you know they got to go to arizona they got to go to cleveland they play the ravens at home they got the rams at home obviously they play the cowboys twice you know they play the lions they play the Bengals but they still got to go to Pittsburgh. They're at the 49ers. They got the Seahawks coming to town. They play the Panthers. Ron Rivera gets a little possibly revenge game, and then they finish the season with the Eagles. I just – I don't see them getting to five wins. I don't see them to getting to five wins. And Maybe they can get to five. Five would be the max at this point because it was so bad last year. Defense will look a little better with Chase Young. I think he's going to win defensive rookie of the year because he's an absolute monster but good lord I just five five with the new coach an unproven quarterback not many weapons on the offensive end defense is still very suspect it just I don't see it god five is the ceiling with this team and I don't want to go another push but like I just look at this schedule I really wonder who they're going to beat I really look at the schedule and wonder who they're going to be. And I, I don't see them winning many, that many games. So I'm going to take the under on the Redskins. Frankly, I've wasted too much time talking about them because they're going to compete for the number one pick next year as well. So moving on, topic number two I want to get to today is this outrageous thing that is going on with Major League Baseball. So I talked about last episode that Rob Manfred is 100% certain that the players are going to play, that they're going to have a Major League season. He's just 100% confident. And, you know, I was ecstatic. I was like, baseball needs to get this season started, needs to get it underway. The more days you go by of not playing games, the less games you could possibly play. It's just, and now he comes out today. And now he's not that confident anymore. Now he's not that confident. ESPN is having, you know, their little commissioner's thing that they're doing tonight, which is pretty cool while no sports are going on. And he said he's not that confident. As long as there is no dialogue, that will risk, the, that real risk is going to continue. So, and this is what it's happened. So Manfred put out that statement and, major, and the PA, Major League, Baseball Players Association denied the most recent offer by Major League Baseball to have 76 games, you know, slightly less than their original agreed-upon prorated salaries, extended playoffs, trying to get something negotiated. And the players just completely rejected that and said, send us, uh, just tell us when and where. When and where. That was how they put it. Just when and where. When are we starting the season? How many games are we going to play? How we are getting our prorated contracts? Because at this point, the P players association is done they're not changing their stance on getting already they're they're already having their salaries prorated as they should they're not playing as many games but they just 
they need to come to an agreement because this is absolutely embarrassing for Major League Baseball to not have something decided yet. NFL's ready to go. They're ready for their season to start. NBA, they figured it out. Still a lot of dialogue with going on with that, but the plan is set. They got the location. They got the teams worked out. It, they plan on having a season from what I can see. NHL, they just got to find the host city. They got the format set up. They're ready to get things started. Major League Soccer, they're doing it too. They're ready to go. Even women's basketball has this figured out. They announced today they're going to have a season. They're ready to go. They're playing here in Florida too at IMG Academy. Women's basketball has figured it out. Yet here is baseball dragging their feet as we're June 15th of 2020. Baseball's been out of session since March, and they have still not figured it out. It's been three months, guys. It's been three months. I know they agreed upon an original thing on the 26th of March to have the, you know, already agreed upon prorated salaries doing this, doing that. But how they could not have come to a, an arrangement for what they're actually going to do is just unacceptable. It's an absolute embarrassment that they've let this go on for this long and they can't come to agreement. It just really shows how toxic the relationship is between the players and the owners. It just really shows how awful it is. Here's the direct quote from Mr. Rob Manfred. I'm not confident. I think there's real risk. And as long as there's no dialogue, that risk is going to continue. And literally, the players have shut down the dialogue. But at this point, the owners just need to be like, hey, we're going to do a 50-game season, extended playoffs. You'll get full prorated salaries. They just need to agree to something. Whether just playing at home stadiums, I've talked about this so much of all the different ideas that other people have been throwing around of rumored ideas, and yet we're not getting any answers. They're not telling us anything. And at least he's willing to admit it's just a disaster for our game. Absolutely no question about it. It shouldn't be happening, and it's important that we find a way to get past it and get back on the field for the benefit of our fans. So at least he's saying that. He knows it's been a disaster. He knows it's been a complete failure to this point to come up with a deal and get something decided. And whew, and he said about the MLBPA decision to end good faith negotiations. It. The owners are 100% committed to getting baseball back on the field. Unfortunately, I can't tell you that I'm 100% certain that it's going to happen. It's mm. Mm -mm -mm. And then Tony Clark, he issued a sta statement right after Manfred's comment. And here's Tony Clark's statement. Players are disgusted, uh, disgusted that after Rob Manfred unequivocally told players and fans that there would be 100% PA. 2020 season he has decided to go back on his word and is now threatening to cancel the entire season an implication that the players association has somehow delayed progress on health and safety protocols is completely false as rob has recently acknowledged the parties are very very close they just need to get something done like at this point, this is what it is. They're bickering about money. This is all about money. The owners don't want to give them full prorated salaries. The players want full prorated salaries. And I think the players deserve full prorated salaries because there's going to be risk with playing a season. This is being discussed with all leagues. There's a risk and reward to this, and there's a possible chance that guys can get sick. Guys can get the coronavirus. There's still a pandemic going on. All this is still going on, but no one's budging. No one wants to budge. No one wants to make a little movement. You guys got to work with each other here. Just, you need to get it done. 
like what they have to and by the end of the week they they better have decided something if there's going to be a season or no season because at this point you're holding the fans hostage you're holding the fans hostage of are we going to get baseball is there going to be baseball and frankly this is even worse for the players are are you going to be able to play your job are you going to be able to go out there and compete doing what you love at this point mm, remains to be seen remains to be seen and excuse me the mlb actually delivered uh for their return to play proposal was actually a 72 game season and guaranteed 70 percent of the players prorated salaries and i understand why the players aren't budgeting on the prorated salary things because they've already agreed to prorated salaries in the original agreement that they came to in march 26 it was already the agreement that it was like yeah you're going to get prorated salaries these are the prorated salaries and now the owners are cutting more and more and more. It's, it's just getting ridiculous. And I got to read a tweet by Trevor Bauer because, you know, I love how the players are at least saying something. At least some of them are speaking out about how this is ridiculous. And here's the tweet. It's June 15th. So how do you delay another 13 days? Guess we all got that answer today. Threaten to cancel the season. Threaten arbitration. Threaten grievances. All the while, hold the fans for ransom. Hold the future of the game for ransom. No one believes your bluff, bud, as he's clearly calling out Rob Manfred and putting all the blame on the players, you know, because that's what the commissioner does. The commissioner works for the owners. He's not for the players. One of the few commissioners in sports that is pro player is Adam Silver, but he understands the brand. Most commissioners in other sports, they, they work for the owners. They're, you know, middleman between the owners and the players. That's how it works. That's how it works. And it's it's just looking ugly for baseball. It really is. It's really looking terrible. This is a, it's just it's an absolute embarrassment what's going on and how they just can't get something figured out. Absolutely embarrassing. So do I expect baseball? You know, I actually do. I actually do expect them to come up with something. But it's it's going to be little games, so it's going to be a really wacky, ridiculous season. At least the NBA was already mostly through their season and has come up a way for the playoffs to look sufficient with eight regular season games and then going into playoffs. Hockey is doing something crazy, but I think it makes a lot of sense for the sport with how they're doing everything. MLS, they're doing a tournament-style thing. WNBA, I believe it's 22 games. Teams have figured it out, and here's baseball just dragging their feet. Another day, another day of us scratching our heads going, wow, are they, are they ever going to come to a decision? And at this point, I, I, re- I believe they will, but it, this is just a horrible look for baseball. Guys shouldn't be arguing about the millions of dollars that they're going to lose out on. Figure it out. Figure it out, baseball. Stop destroying the name of your sport. Get this figured out. Moving on to topic number three of the day. So with this commissioner's thing on ESPN, uh, they had all the commissioners come on and talk about, you know, risks of starting up and getting back to action in their respective sport. And Goodell said some interesting things. And um, he talked about he encourages teams to sign Colin Kaepernick. Now, clearly just showing, clearly this shows that the NFL blackballed Kaepernick. 
like the owners, just whatever they decided of like, no one wants to sign this guy. And I get it. He, he would bring a lot of media attention to your team. He would put your team under a microscope. It would be a big move for whatever team signed Colin Kaepernick with all those extra cameras there, with all the extra media members. And it's not just like sports media, you know, CNN, Fox News, MSN, all, all those media idiots will be all over it too. I don't respect any of them. So let's just get that out of the way. But, you know, he encourages and supports a team to sign him. So Kaepernick, he's 32 years old, hasn't played in the NFL in four years. He hasn't played since 2016. Um, it's, it's a doozy. Let me tell you, I 100% believe Colin Kaepernick should have never been out of the league. Now, whether that's a starting quarterback job, I think he would have to earn that if he was still kept in the league. You know, I don't think no team was going to just be willing to hand him the offense without having a quarterback competition. But... With that being said, he should 100% be in the league. It shouldn't be debated. It shouldn't be questioned. And I know you like to – you go to these – any of these pages where they're posting an article about this on Instagram, you know, the news media, and then you just look at what people are saying. They're like, oh, Kaepernick's a bum. He's awful. He's terrible. He's this, that, and the other. And you're just – You're just like, okay, the guy used his platform and his voice to speak out. That's no reason to call him a bum. He took a team to the Super Bowl. Granted, it was back all the way in 2013. Yes, a long time ago. But he still showed that he can be a starting quarterback and can lead a team to the Super Bowl. That was an unbelievable 49ers team. Their defense was stacked. They had a lot of offensive weapons. But Kaepernick was a game changer. If you really look at it, he's what you want in a quarterback right now. You want a mobile guy who's got a good arm. You want a guy who's able to move. Lamar Jackson just won an MVP doing it. He rushed for the most yards in a season ever. Do we forget that Colin Kaepernick rushed for the most yards by a quarterback in a playoff game? Uh, Colin Kaepernick can still get it done. You know, I haven't seen any tapes of him practicing. I haven't watched any of that. But from the reports I'm reading, he still trains full-time as if he's going to play a season, and he's been doing that for the however long he's been out of the league. You know, he's still working to be in the league. You know, he had a workout a few years ago with the Seahawks. Pete Carroll said they already had a quarterback and almost signed him, but they had Wilson. So there was no point to bring Kaepernick in because he believes he's a starter. Yeah, teams have reached out to the Seahawks. Pete Carroll has said teams have reached out to the Seahawks about Kaepernick being in the league and, it, and what he's like. And he should, he'll get signed. I really think with all, these, with all this going on, someone will sign him. But there's also another reason Colin Kaepernick should be in the league. Yeah, starting quarterbacks are, you know, they're hard to come by. It's hard to come by a true good starting quarterback. You know, te- teams do, will go years without a great starting quarterback. But the teams that do get a starting quarterback pays huge dividends. You get a guy like Tom Brady. Yes, he's the best quarterback ever. He's going to win you Super Bowls. Drew Brees will put you in contention. He's won a Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers has won you a Super Bowl. Ben Roethlisberger has won you a Super Bowl. Franchise guys win you Super Bowls. Patrick Mahomes, he's a franchise quarterback. Lamar Jackson, I believe he's a franchise quarterback. Carson Wentz, he is the quarterback. He's the guy. And so, you know, do I believe Kaepernick can be a starter? At this point, he's got to earn it. At this point, he's got to be in the right situation to be the starting quarterback. But I think he would fight for it. But then you look at the backups, the backup quarterbacks in the NFL. 
I'm just going to read off some names of quarterbacks that are in the NFL, not named Colin Kaepernick. Matt Barkley, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jarrett Stidham, Trevor Simeon, Luke Falk, Robert Griffin III, Ryan Finley, Garrett Gilbert, Mason Rudolph, Delvin Hodges, A.J. McCarron, Brian Hoyer, Jacoby Brissett, Gardner Minshew, Josh Dobbs, Brandon Allen, Matt Moore, Mike Glennon, Deshaun Kaiser, Cooper Rush, Josh McCown, Nate Sudfield, Colt McCoy, Mitchell Trubisky, Chase Daniels, Case Keenum, Josh Johnson, David Bull, Tim Boyle, Matt Schaub, Kyle Allen, Will Gear, Taysom and Hill, Blaine Gabbert, Ryan Griffin, Brent Hudley, Blake Bortles, Nick Mullins, and Geno Smith. Now those are just some names. What do you think when you think of those names? Obviously, you don't think starting quarterback. That's for sure. You don't think starter. But those guys are on an NFL roster and get absolutely destroyed by fans for the play that they put out on the field. Obviously, they don't get team reps with the first team too often because most of the team, most of these guys are on teams with starting quarterbacks or at least the franchise quarterback. You know, Robert Griffin III, he backs up Lamar Jackson. At this point, Garrett Gilbert is backing up starting quarterback Baker Mayfield. It ju- you just go down this list, and it's an absolute joke. I think Colin Kaepernick's better than Mitchell Trubisky. I'm not that big a fan of the Trubisky fan for the Bears. For sure, think Foles is going to beat him out. But those names, those guys are not better than Colin Kaepernick. He should be on a roster at least competing for the starting job or at least waiting at the helm for a quarterback to go down and step in and prove his worth just like these other guys. He, Kaepernick is underappreciated because of what he did. What he did will go down as one of the most iconic moments in sports. Whether you like it or not, good icon, bad icon, it's going to be for the better because he's speaking out of social injustice. You ignorant people can shut the hell up. The door's back there. But he should be in the league. He should be competing for an opportunity. So, of course, Goodell should, you know, want him there. Of course he needs him to return. Because what he's speaking is a good message, especially in times like this. It would get more attention on the social injustices and the police brutality that is going on. It's something good that needs to be spoken on at this moment in time in the situation that we're in with all these social unrest and the riots and the protests. It just... There's a lot going on, and Kaepernick would bring a positive voice and possibly have some good ideas on how changes, change could come. He's got a lot of time to think about it. So I 100% think Colin Kaepernick should be in the NFL. And I'm glad Goodell is finally speaking out and saying, yeah, he should be in the league. Whether he's completely admitted to it of that they blackballed him, mm, I think he's done that more indirectly with his statements and saying that they were wrong for not allowing players to protest, especially with the environment that we're in now and how everything is so hostile. Look, you can have differing opinions and everything, but what's all going on is wrong. There are social injustices in this country, and I don't know how people can debate it. It's not even a debate. Black lives do matter. That's not saying all lives don't matter, but black lives matter at this moment. 
because they need our help and they're not getting the help. And it's good that everyone is speaking up about it. So you're allowed to have differing viewpoints, but you got to respect everyone. That's the key. That's all they want. Black people just want to matter. It's not about they matter more than anyone else. They just want to matter. They want to feel welcome in the world and the country that they live in. They just want to be accepted. They just wanted to feel like we care about them and our society and everything along those lines doesn't allow that. That's not really the case at this moment in time. And it's unfortunate. So Kaepernick would be a good message, a good voice, and I think he'll get signed. And I 100% support him being back in the NFL, as I believe he is talented enough to be on an NFL roster. 100%. 100%. Fourth topic that I want to get to, Sammy, Sammy, Sammy Slammin' Sosa. So the documentary aired of Long Gone Summer with Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire's home run battle. And, uh, you know, it's the reason I got into baseball. You know, Sammy Sosa won the MVP that year. He's the reason I fell in love with the game. Yeah, he did Royce. You know, he cheated. I understand that. But he made a young boy like myself fall in love with the beautiful game that takes place on that diamond. Sosa, should he be in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. He did steroids. But with that being said, Should the Cubs welcome back Sosa? Now, as a boy who thinks that that was his favorite player, and I've read his biography, you know, I was a huge Sosa fan, and I would say I still am. You know, the number 21 is my favorite number because of Sammy Sosa. He he was a beast. You know, he might have did Roy's, but he was still doing awesome things. I was a big fan of it. You know, chicks dig the long ball. It was great. Hitting home runs all the time. He had 20 home runs in the month of June that summer. It was absolutely glorious to watch. And I was five, and I still knew what was going on. I got laminated newspaper articles of Mr. Sosa hitting 66 home runs against Mark McGuire's 70. You know, it was a home run battle for the ages. Has Sosa gone a little overboard with how much he, you know, adores it, saying that God told him that he should... He was chosen to go against McGuire for the home for the home run battle. You know, I think that's a little ridiculous for him to be going like that. But if he's a spiritual guy, more power to him. You're allowed to believe in whatever you want. You know, I don't discriminate against that. But I think he's going a little a uh, little overboard with this. And really, he's never admitted to doing steroids. And that's all the Cubs want. Here's the thing: McGuire, Bonds. Yes, they are in. They have been brought back to their respective towns. The Giants inducted Bonds into their Hall of Fame. Same thing with McGuire and the Cardinals. And the reason they have managed to come back is because they have admitted to doing steroids. They've admitted it. They have come clean. They've gotten that monkey off their back telling them, yes, I cheated. I did this. It was, it's part of who I am. As a ball player, it's what happened. It, is it, you know, I'm not going to feel sorry for them. I don't feel sorry for them one damn bit. But their teams accepted them back because they admitted their faults. But the team also recognized, yeah, they were a big part of our organization. They brought us a lot of highs and lows to our organization. 
you know, their record stamp. They sold out stadiums, you know, that for the teams to ignore them would, would be downright disrespectful if they didn't invite them back. But they took the time to admit to using steroids. Sosa hasn't. He hasn't done that. Sosa, you got to admit. Just admit. He's never admitted in any situation. He's never come out and said it. They even went to court. He said, no habla inglés. No habla inglés. My uncle to this day still makes fun of me about Sosa saying that because he knows he's my, one of my favorite players ever. I would say he's my favorite player ever. But Sosa, you got to admit it. Like, Bond's got, he's, he's back in baseball. Bond's got a hitting coach job with the Marlins. He's in the Giants Hall of Fame. Same with McGuire. They accepted him back. They allowed him back because he admitted what he did. And here's Sosa. And uh, I'm going to read you a little statement from Sosa about the Rickett family, who I think has done a great job with the Cubs organization. And I've done has done great things, and yep, I'm holding on to that championship. They could have done whatever else they've done, but they won us a championship. Great owners. What they do, I think they're doing a good job. I think they're moving the Cubs in the right direction. It's a great ownership group. Love it. Love every second of it. But here is Sosa on it. And, you know, he didn't, didn't really apologize for using steroids or come clean about it. And this is what he has to say. The ownership... They have to understand that I am a humble man. I am not a man to have an ego. When I was playing, I was a little bit because I was focused on what I was trying to do, Sosa said. But right now, I'm going to be 50 years old. I'm a granddaddy. I'm a grandparent. So things change. So if I made a mistake, I don't have to say that. But I made a mistake. I didn't want to offend anybody. I don't have a problem with that. I'm sorry because, you know, I was in the zone. So more or less... He admitted he's done something wrong. But Sosa, what have you done wrong? Just say it. Say you did roids. Say you did roids. That's all you got to do. Just say you, say you did roids. And I bet the Ricketts would take you back tomorrow. I bet the next time that fans are welcome, they'll retire that number 21 jersey, and you'll be in the Cubs Hall of Fame. It, you, you did great things in that 98 season. It was the first time they made the playoffs in nine years. You know, Behind Sammy's bat, he made that possible. He made it happen. He did that. He, it's just, you got to admit it, Sosa. I don't understand what's taking so long. And this is what he had to say. He was on Scott Van Pelt, uh Sports Center the other night after a long gone summer. And I think that time is going to come. I look for. I'm looking forward. I expect the near future they bring me back to Chicago. I'll be fine, but I believe time will heal everything. My case is not hard to look at. I believe in the near future somebody, a new owner, or somebody is going to bring me back. I believe so. Well, I don't think the Ricketts are giving up the Cubs anytime soon. Frankly, they make too much money. The Cubs are, you know, doing big things. Ticket sales are not down. There's no reason to believe that the Ricketts would sell the team, especially with what they're valued at. I just find that hard to believe. But Sosa... You know what this is. Just admit it. Admit you did steroids like the other two guys. If Bonds and McGuire can do it, you can do it too. You can admit that you did something wrong. And with those guys, you know, Bonds wasn't a great teammate. 
Bonds was awful to the media. He would actually, matter of fact, he fought teammates. Bonds was a horrible teammate, a bad team player, and he could have kept playing. Bonds could have stayed in the league, but no one wanted to deal with him. No one wanted to sign him because of how awful apparently he was. And yet the Giants still inducted him into their Hall of Fame. This goes the same for Sosa. I just saw something today and heard it. And a former Cubs player talked about how bad a teammate Sosa was and literally said that if Sosa, uh, unless he hit a home run, he wasn't happy. He said even after losses, if he hit a home run, he'd still be up and at him. He'd be happy. So clearly what he was trying to do was hit home runs. That's all Sosa cared about. He only cared about himself. So for him to say he doesn't have a big ego might be the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. If these teammate quotes are correct, he said he, Sosa was one of the worst teammates he's ever had. I recall one story, and it's one of my favorite stories about Sosa and one of my other favorite Cubs players, Kerry Wood. Apparently after a game, it was a tough loss. Sosa hit a home run, and he was listening to music after the loss. And I don't know, as a competitor, you know, morale isn't too high after losing a game. And, um, you know, Sosa happened to be jamming out because he hit a home run. He did his thing. He did what he was supposed to do. And Kerry Wood apparently destroyed the boombox. He destroyed it. Apparently took all the anger out of it, was pissed that Sosa was so uh, up in Adams about it. It just, the way Sosa has handled his dealings with the Cubs, he should be thankful if the Ricketts even consider bringing him back because, I mean, he left after, he, the last year he was with the Cubs, he left before first pitch. Whatever little drama thing he had going on, he left before first pitch. And then a couple months later, he was traded to the Baltimore Orioles. He just out like that. Cubs just got rid of him. They're like, all right, he's toxic. It's time to go. He's not, you know, he's not a, he's not selling tickets like he used to. It's time to get rid of him. Gets to go. Gets to go. And, you know, I can't blame him. Can't blame the Cubs for letting him go. If he was a bad teammate like that, wasn't doing his thing. And the teammate, Turk Wendell. <laughs> Worst teammate ever. Everyone should go listen to this clip. It's absolutely unbelievable. Because, you know, just to hear that all Sosa cared about was hitting his home runs. All he cared about was himself. He, just the way Sosa handled himself to say that he had a little ego and that he's not an ego guy is ridiculous. And then he said, oh, playing years, yeah, a little bit. No, a lot of bit. He had a huge ego. And clearly you still have a big ego thinking that the Cubs should just accept you back for, you know, for what you did. You did, uh, you did stupendous things, Sosa. You did stupendous things. But you got to admit your wrongs. You got to come clean. Just make a clean slate. Wipe it clean. Apologize. I was wrong. I did steroids. I apologize for what I did. It's a part of who I am, but I really appreciate my time with the Chicago Cubs, and I'm thankful for every moment I got to play for those beautiful pinstripe jerseys at home and that incredible blue jersey on the road. I am thankful that I got to step foot on Wrigley Field and be a part of the atmosphere that is Wrigley Field and show how much I love this game for the Chicago faithful. That's all you got to do. There's your quote. There's your statement, Sosa. You don't even have to write it. I'll write it for you. Just apologize. Admit what you were wrong, and the Cubs will take you back. 
I'll take you back. You're my favorite player. Come back. Ricketts, give him a chance. Let him admit he's wrong. Say he did steroids. And there we go. Case is over. He's coming back. Retire the jersey. Do all the little stuff. Put him in the Chicago Hall of Fame. Because that's the only Hall of Fame he's getting in. Because he ain't getting in that Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. No chance. So, so, so. Admit you were wrong and come back. Topic number five. You know, this NBA thing, I was real excited for the season to start. It's going to be fantastic. Everything that's going to go on, great. Got the plan mapped out. It's going to be here in Orlando at Wide World of Sports, close to where I live. Just to think that it's happening that close and I'm right here, fantastic. I don't even care about going. I just want to watch. Can't wait to watch basketball. And then they have this phone call. And Mr. Kyrie Irving has been very outspoken and saying that they shouldn't play, that it's so important right now for social injustices that we shouldn't play. And all of this, and he's willing to give it up tomorrow. This is what Kyrie said. He, he's ready to walk away from the game tomorrow. And, you know, very easy for him to say because he's making $30 million a year the past few years. But, whew, Kyrie, why, why is that a reason not to play? That's not a reason not to play. Social injustices is not a reason to show up to work. That's not a good excuse for why you shouldn't be doing your profession. If I said that to my job, I'm fired tomorrow. If the guy at McDonald's says that tomorrow, today, he's fired on the spot. It just, it, you got to get out on that court. And frankly, he's not even playing. He's hurt. So I understand his concern of going down to Orlando, being in the bubble. Yes, there is risk and reward to everything. I t we all take risk going to the grocery store. We all take risk getting in our car and leaving our house. That's the risk you play. What's the risk and reward to everything? You, and the reward is you keep the season going. You keep the NBA going. And here's why they need to keep playing. There's something in the current collective bargaining agreement that if they weren't to play a season, the NBA could null and void the current CBA, forcing a lockout for next year unless they agree upon a CBA. This would be disastrous. Think about it. The season ends in March, and then, oh, okay, we're not going to play. Social injustices, we're going to keep speaking out. And it's not that I don't think speaking out is not important, because I think it's very important that people speak their opinion, and especially if you have the platform like an NBA player does, like Kyrie Irving done. It's very important to speak what you want to happen. It's very important to speak on topics that you care about that matter to the public sphere. But... To not play is ridiculous. So like I was saying, they could cancel the CBA, forcing a lockout for next year, taking money away from these guys next year. And that's what a lot of guys have been outspoken about. They, they need the money. This is their profession. This is what they do for a living. There's, for every LeBron James, there's 20 other guys who are journeymen who might not be in the league longer than five years, riding NBA benches, hoping they get a little time during garbage time, and then they're out of the league. They're long forgotten. And those, you're taking money away from those guys. There are guys at the end of Sacramento's bench, Portland's bench, Washington's bench. They need to play. They need the checks. They need it to happen. And for them to not play, NBA could null and void the CBA, leading to a lockout next year, leading to less money happening to 
it just would do terrible things for the sport for them not to play. And frankly, I think they should play. It's going to put all eyeballs on them. Once sports come back, people are fixated. NASCAR's had the best ratings ever. The match between Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning, it had the highest golf ratings for cable network ever. Ever. A four-man golf game with Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback, Tiger Woods, who I think is the greatest golfer, Phil Mickelson, and Peyton Manning, two greats at their game. Four of them had the highest ratings ever for a golf event on cable. Absolutely absurd. Sports are going to get huge ratings coming back. So if anything, all eyeballs are going to be on them, which is a perfect time for them to use that platform to speak out on the social injustices that they are so concerned about. Whether it's silent protests like Kaepernick did Neen for the anthem, wearing I can't breathe shirts like they wore a few years ago for Eric Gardner. Uh, whether it's still speaking out on social media, whether it's media sessions, specifically talking to the media about these injustices and how they believe change can come about. There are so many options for them to be able to speak out on the social injustices while they're playing. Having basketball around is not going to stop that. It's just not. Yes, it'll get people's mind off it for two hours while we enjoy the basketball game, but it's not going to divert it away from it, especially if players are doing certain things during the games, after the games, before the games, speaking about social injustices. If anything, this will greater their platform because all eyes are all eyes on me. Like Tupac said, all eyes will be on you guys. People will be watching. People will be paying attention. And if you do it correctly, people will be paying attention for the right things, seeing what you're speaking about. Yes. Like I said, there's risk and reward for everything. And we, even average Americans, people who don't play sports, deal with that every day. But these guys got to find, they got to get back on that hardwood. It, it would be disastrous if they didn't play. They go to all this time to set everything up, decide what they're going to do, set up everything at Disney, make sure that everything's going to be safe. We're going to have testing every day. They already have protocols in place with what they're going to do. And then the players are like, no, nah, we're not doing it. Social injustices, we're not going. No. Unacceptable blasphemy. They got to play. They got to play. It's your job. It's your profession. Your employer's expecting you to play. You play. It, however many guys, if some guys aren't willing to do it, I get it. But that's why they've extended the rosters from 15 players to 17 players and allowed it for teams to be able to sign some guys if they need to. J.R. Smith still on the market. Jamal Crawford still on the market. Isaiah Thomas still on the market. Demarcus Cousins still on the market. There's some guys who can help, possibly help you in the playoffs, help you make a run, a little scoring off the bench. It, guys got to play. You got to play. You got to get out on that court. It would just be terrible because it doesn't realize the ramifications of them not playing are way greater than the ramifications of them playing. That's what they're not thinking about. In the moment, we're all in the heat of the moment. These are dire times. These are crazy times. We've never experienced anything like this pandemic, the social injustice and the rioting and the protesting. All of that has gone way up and amplified by 10 since everyone's out of a job. People have time to focus on these kind of things. But playing basketball is not going to take away from that. I don't believe that for a second. You got to go out there. It'll put more eyes on you to speak about the things that worry you. 
I totally disagree, and I think there's huge ramifications if they don't play. Huge ramifications if they don't get out on that court. It ends the CBA. Lockout for next season, possibly a shortened season. Maybe no season at all, especially if they don't play. That's going to put a huge rift between the Players Association and the owners because the owners are ready to go. The owners are ready to get this started. And if the players are backing out, you know, then the owners aren't going to really budge much come the new CBA. It's just a trickle-down effect that is going to be real, real trouble for the NBA if they don't get out there and play. So NBA, play. They're going to play. I firmly believe they're going to play. And I'm glad these players are concerned. I, I really am. They're glad they're, glad they're speaking out about the injustices that are going on in this country. I think it's fantastic. But them playing sports and playing basketball specifically is not going to take the spotlight off that. It's not. And these players won't even allow it. LeBron James has already come out and said he doesn't see how it's going to you know, deter it. He's already been outspoken about these kind of things during playing. They've already found ways to protest during. They've already found ways to speak out while there's just regular basketball and we went back to normal times. They've already found ways to speak out about the social injustices. LeBron hasn't stopped doing that. And yet we think that going to Orlando is going to throw everyone's attention away from it. I don't agree with that. Not a chance. So get back on that hardwood, fellas. We need you. I need basketball back. We need basketball back. Sports will bring this country closer together. We saw what baseball did after the terrorist attacks of September 11th. We saw what happened. We came closer as a country. And I think the same thing will happen if the NBA comes back, if the MLB comes back. I think it'll bring us closer together. You know, during these difficult times, we can find camaraderie together. We can do it. America, bring back sports. Bring them back. All right. And now for the final segment of today's podcast, my unpopular opinion. And, you know, I think it's a pretty good one because it's been a hotbed of topic for, you know, a while now. And I don't know why it's so debatable. And I don't know how it's an unpopular opinion, but it is. But I'm going to say it. Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. Now, for some reason, that's a very controversial statement. And I could understand why. Eli has been very inconsistent. You know, he's done some things that as a quarterback, you scratch your head and go, hmm, that's not all that great when you really think about it. Not all that great. And I can understand it. You know, you just look at the numbers. You look at the stats. You can just go right, right down the list of what it's been. Uh, he's never been the best player at his position in the NFL at any point in any season. And yeah, very true. But you could debate that for a few other guys who are in the Hall of Fame. And anyways, we could just go, I'll go on on some other things of why maybe he shouldn't be in. You know, he was never great a full season. He played 14 seasons and finished in the top 10 in passer rating just once. And he was seventh in 2011. So, you know, not even top five. He also ranked 20th or worse six times when it came to passer rating. Um, Never had a passer rating over 93.6. You know, that's understandable. But it's very interesting. I'm reading all these stats here, 
And I've seen other guys who should be surefire Hall of Famers right now in Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, and then for some reason another guy who is on here who I don't think should be in the Hall of Fame is Philip Rivers. But that's a topic for another day. Philip Rivers isn't a Hall of Famer. Eli Manning is. Uh, what else do you got to say about Eli not making it? Well, he never led the NFL in completion percentage. He never led it in touchdowns, passing yards, yards per game, passer rating, any other major category except except one category, interceptions. And he managed to do that three times. Manning's 3.09 interception percentage ranks closer to the bottom uh, since he entered the NFL. And that would be 49th best out of 73 quarterbacks who have thrown at least 1,000 passes since 2004. Um, You know, I guess you could debate how many games he's played in isn't that great either. You know, he played in 246 games. Um, He only has five career games with 300 passing yards, three TDs, zero interceptions. That's the same as Jared Goff, who has, mind you, played in 206 fewer games. So... You know, statistically, gosh, you know, you would think, hmm, boy, you look at those numbers, man, Manning, I don't know if he should be in the Hall of Fame. Here's why Manning should be in the Hall of Fame. Just going to run it down. He's only one of 12 quarterbacks in NFL history to win one or more Super Bowls. And eight of those QBs are already eligible for the Hall of Fame. Seven have been enshrined. So clearly that puts him above the rest. There's only one guy from that, and it's Jim Pluckett. And the reason he's not in the Hall of Fame is he played 16 seasons and was only the full-time starter eight times and had a winning record twice, and he never made a Pro Bowl. That's why Jim Pluckett isn't in, but all the other guys are. So I think Manning 100% should. Here it is. He didn't only win two Super Bowls. He was the MVP in both those Super Bowls. He toppled the greatest dynasty and we missed out on a chance for an undefeated 19-0 team in the New England Patriots and Tom Brady at the time touchdown record with Randy Moss of 50. And of all people to do it, Eli Manning did it and won Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, the defense was great that year for the Giants, but they weren't that great that season. They turned it on late and had a huge run. He's only one of six quarterbacks to win Super Bowl MVP. Let me repeat that. Only one of six to win multiple Super Bowl MVPs. To do something only six other guys have done? It's pretty impressive to me. Never missed a game because of an injury, starting in 210 straight games. Second longest streak ever. And frankly, the Giants messed that up. That streak could have kept going. That streak could have kept going longer, but nope. Only 210. And ranks seventh in the NFL in passing yards with 56,537. He's eighth in touchdowns with 362. Every eligible quarterback who's ever reached either 5,000 passing yards or 300 touchdowns is in the Hall of Fame. I got to tell you, just from, from that alone, from what I just said, Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. And I'm surprised this is such a big debate. I've never known a two-time Super Bowl MVP to not be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, They don't exist. To win two Super Bowls 
is incredible enough to win Super Bowl MVP twice is even greater. And both times were against the Patriots. I think that speaks volumes because the Patriots are the greatest dynasty we've ever seen in football history. And I know, yeah, we could go back a little bit in the years of the Packers early on, the Steelers, whatever you want to say. No, the greatest dynasty in football is the New England Patriots led by Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And Eli Manning beat them twice at the peak of their powers. Not just that. From 2005 to 2012, in his first eight seasons as a full-time starting quarterback, the Giants never had a losing season. Manning made his first three Pro Bowls during that eight-year stretch, and only three quarterbacks have won more games during that span. Three future Hall of Famers in that, in Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Drew Brees. Just that alone. Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. I'm surprised so many people don't think so. Yes, he was never the best at his position at any point in his career, but he's going against other Hall of Famers. That's what happens when you go against legends. That's what happens when you go up against the greatest who have ever played the game. The three guys, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, those are, in my opinion, three of the top five greatest quarterbacks ever. And we're going to act like, oh, it's a big deal that Eli was never the greatest in the league at any point. He's going against the greatest ever. Is Eli the greatest ever? No, but he is for sure a Hall of Famer. Now, whether we want to put him in on the first opportunity he gets, that could be another question. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? I'll leave that up to them. But if Eli Manning doesn't get a gold jacket one day and get that knock on his room, uh, hotel room door, it would be in a, uh, I think it would just be a huge mistake. He's a Hall of Famer. Eli Manning is 100% a Hall of Famer in my eyes. Uh, I, I don't see any other way around it. I really don't. Yeah. I just don't know how you, how you can win two Super Bowl MVPs have those kind of numbers of 56,000 passing yards, 362 TDs, and not be in the Hall of Fame. I am certain that one day Eli Manning will be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. All right, and that's a wrap for us. Episode 12, Hang Time with Helgi in the books. I'm going to keep the episodes coming, I promise. So please, stay tuned. And remember, it's a pandemic, folks. Wash your damn hands. All right. I'm out. Peace.